and welcome to Warshaw Bursting Perspectives, our continuing series of podcasts to help you understand key issues at the intersection of business and law. Today we will look at physical custody schedules with Sophie Jacoby Parisi, partner in the family law practice at the New York-based law firm Warshaw Bursting. I'm Tom Merriam. Sophie, why don't we just begin with the whole concept of physical custody and what that means, and then we'll get into some other definitions and take it from there. Sure. Hi, Tom. Thanks for having me. First, I just want to say that we're only talking about custody cases with respect to family law situations. And the word custody is a loaded word. It really means two things. Custody can mean legal custody, which is who makes the decisions for the kids. Do both parents make them, which is what joint legal custody is, or does one parent make them, which is what sole legal custody is. But today we're going to talk about the other aspect of custody, which is physical custody or residential custody. Uh, And it has a whole, there's a whole lot of different words and types of language that we can use around what it means to have physical custody of your children. And that really means spending time with the child, whether it's short term or long term. Yes. Where do the kids live with which parent on what schedule? Let's start with a basic question. How's that determined ahead of time? Well, it depends. As a lot of these answers probably will start with, it depends. The first question is whether people can agree. And there are clients who will come to a lawyer like me or someone, uh, one of my colleagues who will have already set into motion a schedule. So in other words, they are parents who once lived together, who no longer live together and have decided already what the schedule is for their kids and either the schedule is working or not working. So that's one set of people who come to me. There are people who come to us who are still living with their spouse or with their child's parents. So they could be people who are not married, who had a child or children together, and they need some help to figure out what the schedule should be, and they need help because they don't agree. And that usually means that we have to involve the court system. So let's get into some of the basic issues that come up, and we'll start with the term shared parenting time. What does that mean, and how do people go about determining that? So the first question most people ask is, where are the kids going to live primarily? Is one parent going to be the primary parent, which means that he or she has the children for more nights in the course of a year than the other parent? What I like to say is that ultimately, if you have two parents who are well, meaning that they are physically and mentally well and capable parents, whether the other side thinks that they are or not is a different issue. But if you if you have two capable parents, you're going to end up with some form of shared parenting. And that may not mean exactly 50-50. It may not mean that one parent is the primary parent during all school nights. Each person has their own concept of what they think is best for their own kid. And it is our job to try to help two parents to either come to an agreement or at least lay out in court why we think our client's parenting schedule makes more sense than the other. And there are many, many factors that go into that decision. Are the kids' wishes part of those factors? That's a good question, Tom. In New York, the kids' wishes may be considered by the court. There are a couple of ways that that happens. One is 
children can be appointed a lawyer. They're called attorneys for children. They are lawyers. They're not tra- they may have some training, but they're not mental health professionals. They're lawyers. And they have an obligation to represent their client's wishes in court, which may make sense when you have an 11-year-old, but it becomes trickier when you have a 3-year-old, for example. Um, they have There are a few nuances with respect to that representation that probably could be another podcast. Um, but if you have an 11-year-old, for example, that person is likely going to have an attorney who will try to represent his or her wishes in the court process. Let's talk about regular parenting schedule. That's probably the most basic here. We can get into some details there and maybe an example or two. Sure. So if you have people who want to stay out of court, who maybe don't have a, a, a schedule that they're operating under at the moment, um, at the moment they come to you, but they understand that going to court is an, an expensive and an emotional uh, process, and they generally have, they generally consider one another to be decent enough parents, right? So they may have complaints about the other, but the complaints don't rise to a level of real concern. You know, for example, a real mental health issue or a substance abuse issue, which is a different sort of case. Um, so a shared parenting schedule really can mean anything, but generally speaking, it, it means that um, each parent has a significant amount of time with their kids over the year. And the year, depending on how old the kids are, um, is often sort of thought out as September through June because they're in school and consistency is important. So what is the regular schedule going to be during the school year? And there are lots of ways to slice it. And as I tell most people, it really depends on your kid. I, I don't meet the kids. I, I don't know them. I, I obviously can hear about them from uh, my client and from the attorney representing them. But ultimately, you know, some kids can do well transitioning back and forth more often than others. It really depends. Um, so a shared parenting schedule can mean, ultimately means that they share the schedule during the school year. The summer schedule is sort of can be different. Reminder, you're listening to Warshaw Burstein Perspectives, the podcast of the New York law firm Warshaw Burstein. I'm Tom Merriam, and I'm talking with Sophie Jacoby Parisi, who's a partner in the family law practice at Warshaw Burstein. And our topic is physical custody schedules or residential custody schedules. And you gave us a good overview, Sophie. So let's get particularly into some particulars here. And one of which uh, is dividing up things such as holidays or vacation periods or special days to the individuals involved. Right. So we were talking a little bit about summer. So summer can be, sometimes summer is completely different than the rest of the schedule for during the school year because parents feel that kids can be maybe more flexible during the summer than they don't have homework. They have, you know, different camp sleepaway schedules. Um, So sometimes we think about those in a different way. But generally speaking, most parents end up with an equal amount of holiday and vacation time, including summer. And sometimes people split the whole summer up. They do one month and one month, or they do one week and one week, or they do um, more of an equal schedule than they do during the year. Uh, Sometimes they just say the regular schedule will continue in the summer, and then they'll each have 
you know, two weeks that they can take together or not together. And some of this depends a little on the age of their children. I mean, if they have young kids, parents don't usually like to leave them alone for two weeks at a time. But if they get older, it gives a parent an opportunity to really travel or do something exciting, uh, exciting with their kids. In terms of the holidays, they're split, they're alternated. They're either divided in half or alternated each year. And particularly gets complicated with religious holidays. And sometimes you have families where the parents are of different religions. We have that a lot. I think what strikes people uh, can be difficult for people to understand is that if you have a parent who celebrates Christmas because they are Christian and that person's married to someone who isn't Christian or who doesn't really believe in and what Christmas is from a religious perspective, Christmas is often still alternated because one, the kids have off from school, and two, it's a holiday that I think many people consider is just a wonderful time to be with children. So I I have experienced that that can be a difficult understanding for people who are truly religious and spend time in church. And sometimes you can um, split the actual you know, 24, 48 hours of Christmas so that each parent has an opportunity to be with their kids around that holiday. And when you do that, then you have to think about, well, the rest of the vacation is is either split two or alternated. So you have to really decide, the, the parties really have to decide whether or not they want to um, split Christmas, for example, because if you do that, then the person who then neither parent can travel without their kids or with their kids. They're committing to staying near each other. And for some people, that's exactly what they want to do, and some people don't want to do that at all. And one thing I would say, too, is inform Santa Claus where the kid's going to be at that time. <laughs> right. That's if, probably more important than anything, right? If they celebrate. <laughs> sure. Um, but, but on the serious levels, too, not just religious holidays, but what we would call personal holidays, the child's birthday, a very special day, particularly for younger children. Right. So people, it's the same idea. People either alternate them completely or they decide well we we both want to be there and so we're going to figure out a way that we can either spend the birthday time together or we at least split it up so that one parent has some time maybe in the morning some parent has some time in the evening if it's a school day it's less time if it's a weekend it's more time and often parents will try to at least will put in an agreement and this is you know people who are coming to an agreement will at least say that they'll make an attempt to try to celebrate it together and maybe host a joint birthday party and if they don't agree on how to host it one parent can decide in the odd years and one parent can decide in the even years so we try to give them some roadmap for going forward so that they don't have to come back to lawyers to fight about for example birthday parties but it does um, also give some hope that they'll be able to work out some of these issues going forward. We're talking with Sophie Jacoby Parisi. She's a partner in the family law practice at Washoe Burstein. This is Washoe Burstein Perspectives, and I'm Tom Merriam. We've talked about where the children will be based on the physical custody arrangements, but the big issue is how they get from point A to point B, being picked up in all those arrangements. That, there's some, uh, that has to be done as well ahead of time. It does. I mean, it's like in any intact family with two working parents you have to figure it out but it can be a little bit more complicated the ideal situation is when a child transitions 
to or from school and or camp. So in other words, if a, if a child sleeps at a parent's house on a you know from Friday after school and spends Friday after school through Monday morning with parent A, then on Monday afternoon parent B picks up from school so that the child doesn't have to have a, you know parent to parent contact. It makes it a little bit easier for them to know, oh, right, parent A is picking me up today and parent B will pick me up tomorrow. So to the extent that we can transition, use school or camp or daycare as a transition place, that's certainly what uh, we try to do, although it's not always possible. Um, sometimes you have a, a, a nanny who the, has been with the family even before, you know, before the divorce, and oftentimes people will try to at least continue to work with the same nanny for some amount of time after the divorce so that that person is consistent for the kids, and then that person does the transitions back and forth. Um, and then I try to usually have some kind of a default agreement that you know the either the person ending their time or the person starting their time does the transition so there's never a fight where someone's saying no you're you're supposed to pick them up and and the other person says you're supposed to drop them off it's it's not that's not good for children they need to know who's coming to get them sure and while we've talked about very set patterns here there has to be flexibility in parenting schedules too it depends. If you have a parent who does a lot of traveling for work um, or who has, you know, kind of an unorthodox schedule, like a chef or a nurse, you know, a surgeon, so people who are um, not on our more weekday, Monday through Friday schedule, it's great to be able to have to offer some flexibility about how that's going to go so that... Um, everyone can maximize their time with their kids. So in other words, if you're working with somebody who has off Monday and Tuesday, it's great to try to make sure, it's, if you can, that they always have Monday and Tuesday so that their their weekend time can be maximized with the kids. If you have people whose schedules, like are, they're traveling a lot and their schedules change a lot, what you try to do is at least set up uh, an obligation for the parents to speak, you know, every couple of months to try to plan out their calendars so that they can um, figure out in advance where the kids are going to be, you know, while one person's traveling. And another complicating factor is parental relocation. Sometimes a parent has to move for work or just decide they want to be in a different part of the country. How does that fit in here? Relocation is incredibly complicated. It's a very complicated issue and is not an easy thing to relocate from New York City, much less New York State, uh, with your children, particularly when the other parent has significant time with parenting time with with your kids. So that is a whole other issue that I'm happy to talk about at another point in time, but it could be a whole podcast. Sure, and we'll talk about that in a future podcast. One final question here, too. Are there any differences typically for mothers and fathers in consideration, whether you work it out with the other party or work it out through the courts that they say, okay, because she's the mother, she's typically entitled to this and the father's typically entitled to that? No. No, whatever whatever existed in the past is well, well in the past. Um, there is not any bias anymore that because a mom is a mom, she gets more time and a dad is a dad and he gets less. It just doesn't happen that way anymore. And certainly not in New York City. 
Sophie Jacoby Parisi, thank you for your time today, sharing your knowledge and insights about physical custody schedules on Washoe Bursting Perspectives. And if any of our listeners want to find out more about it, how can they contact you directly? You can reach me. Uh, my telephone number is 212-984-7723 or my email, which is sjacoby, J-A-C-O-B-I, at wbny.com. And you can also go to WBNY.com for other Warshaw Bursting Perspectives podcasts and for more information about the Warshaw Bursting Law Firm. Thank you for listening. I'm Tom Marion.